Welcome to the Wildlife Club, where we talk to the most interesting people on earth. People that are living their version of the wildest life they could possibly imagine. And in this episode, we talk to Chip Richards, an ex-Olympic mobile ski coach who's now helping people of all walks of life live fearlessly like champions. <laughs> you've, you've, done, you've come a long way and, and, and it seems like uh, quite an adventure as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, do you want to just... Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself Mm. coming from the States and sort of what brought you to Australia? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm not Australian as you can certainly hear from my voice, but uh, I've I've been here for 24 years next month, 24 years in May. And uh, when I came down here, um, I literally thought I was coming for six months um, and told my family and friends that you know I, I got my skis and I got my bike and I'm going to Australia and seeing about a year probably um, and you know I think a big portion of my family and friends are still kind of wondering when I'm going to get back. Um, I I grew up in the mountains of Colorado and um, really my deep deep passion uh, throughout my childhood was the sport of freestyle skiing. And that was really, you know, an arena that I learned a ton about myself and about life and around, you know, kind of, I guess, the expanded realms of possibility yeah. when, you're, when you're going off huge jumps and going 60 feet in the air and uh, sometimes you crash and sometimes you land, but sometimes you're, you know, up that high and uh, all sorts of things are going on, but you're in a place of real centeredness. Um, I don't know, it kind of, for, for me, it expanded my view of kind of what was possible. Yep. And um, so that was all I wanted to do. And, um, and my real passion and my, my goal was to go to the Olympics. And I got very close uh, and was, you know, kind of at the top of my game and ranked number one in the U.S., but uh, sort of two seasons in a row, right, right on the edge of the uh, World Cup and Olympic qualifying events, I um, had you know, what was a very subtle change in my form caused an explosion in a joint to my body, first my left knee, then my right, and um, had some pretty deep and arduous recoveries and, you know, kind of came back to a degree, um, but uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, two injuries two years in a row caused me to take a pause, and in that time, I just uh, stepped into the coaching space for for what I thought was going to be a couple months, yep. and um, what I found was that, you know, after literally about a day of coaching, I just found a great sense of it felt like I was coming home. Yeah. You know, I'd worked really hard to be an athlete, like super hard, um, and I was really good, but the coaching just felt really natural. Just felt sense of belonging. it was just a total <clears throat> sense of belonging, which was kind of strange because I was coaching the team that I was. They were all my good friends and but they were my biggest competitors but for some reason as soon as I stepped on that side of the competitive space I just loved them all I just wanted everybody to win and I was just so into it and um, so I didn't really have an agenda around it I didn't see it as a path but um, uh, it just opened it just kept opening and it just kept feeling good and then uh, a couple years later I got invited to come down here and work for just a season with the Australian national team and that ended up opening up into a full-time head coach Olympic position. So I 
sort of fulfilled my Olympic dream in a totally bizarre and different way as the head coach of the Australian Olympic team and inside of that met my beautiful wife and uh, and 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 sort of a whole life has unfolded down here in Australia as a result of it so so your wife was uh, the, the the bar the barmaid. She was the manager of the okay. bar, and and in and the bar and the nightclub in the hotel, the Karura Hotel that I was living in, and most of the a lot of the other mountain staff down in Mount Buller, and um, and uh, she'd never been to the snow, yeah. and I'd never been to Australia, and so uh, when we met, um, it took us a little while to kind of see each other, but once we did, uh, I think because we were we weren't encumbered by any of our life and any expectations of how people saw us things just accelerated really quickly and uh it was interesting because she'd never she had no it for me it was very refreshing because i um at that stage almost everybody in my world knew me inside of the context of skiing and what i'd achieved in skiing and what i could do and that all that sort of business and she had zero context in that world and i can remember one of our first nights St- sort of starting to explain to her what I did and I got like three sentences into it and it, it just sounded ridiculous I was yeah. like trying to describe the sport of mogul skiing and I said you know what actually it's totally irrelevant for this you know <laughs> and so it was really cool I got to just be me I got to yeah. be just totally me unencumbered and un you know with no kind of uh, attachments to anything and I think that made for you know really direct pathway to love I think that's actually quite a common phenomenon um I I've travelled around Australia a few times. Actually, I'm going to just drop, drop a quick fact. I, to this day, have not seen snow. Well, we've got to get you up there. You might meet your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, so, when backpackers are travelling around, they, I, I think that there's this thing where they, um, they, they don't have to wear a social mask. Mm. So, um, you know, like when the conversations that gravitate towards or between people uh, when they're stay, staying in a hostel or, mm. you know, they're around other travellers, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just in the stage, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, yeah. and at the moment, I don't even know what that is sort of thing. Yeah. So they don't have to explain to anybody, um, you know, what they're doing. And, and it's like you said, it's not really important anyway. You know, mm. like the important thing is that they're sort of all in the same space at the same time. Yeah. You know? So totally. It's I, I when I, I did a bit of solo traveling, um, you know, kind of in and around this time period, and I, it was so liberating yeah. and so exciting. And you, yeah, it, it, to be in a space where everybody's kind of a bit open yeah. and, and everybody's kind of new to this space and we're all kind of on an adventure and you might be a bartender back home and you might be a ski coach and you might, maybe you're a policeman, yeah. but here we are and wow, how weird is it that yeah. we're all in the same room and we all get along and we all like the same song or something like that, you know? What's weird or um, a, a juxtaposition on that though is when those travelers then return home mm. and, you know, one might call the other five years later and it's like the the social mask has gone back up Mm. that um sort of ambient relationship um that you were the vibing on before it's no longer there you know Mm. that that person that you're talking to isn't the same person that you were talking to then Mm. it's weird but um you know and then maybe a small amount of time those travelers they go on a journey together and they stay together for the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And then they can reflect on that. But mm. as a general rule, the, the mission is to, to not 
do that. The mission is to, to just go out and do whatever mm. and then go back home, you know? Yeah. I remember um, specifically writing in my journal, uh, you know, on, on my way home from my first kind of solo international traveling adventure. You know, I wrote pages about I, I don't remember what I call it. It was like the traveler's mind or something like like how do I how do I maintain this sense of openness and connectedness and. Um, you know, like connection to my intuition, that ability that you, you get to navigate when you're, you know, traveling solo and, and, and you kind of tune into people really quickly and situations really quickly and, and you're, you know, open to new friendships and new ideas. I thought, wow, if everybody had this sort of mentality instead of being so specific and so kind of locked in their ways, the world would be a better place. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, also the, one of the biggest challenges when you've gone out and had a big, you know, kind of expansive experience like that, is then when you come back to the world that uh, that knows you for who you used to be, you don't really realize how you've changed and grown until you step back into your old world and and there's this sort of integration period People of trying to put you in the same box. Yeah, and and you realize, wow, you know, I'm I'm actually a different human than I was a year ago when I was here, and do I take the time? to get this person caught up with who I've become mm. or do I just make them feel comfortable sure. and go along with the old jokes and go along with the old memories and things like that just so that that this exchange is you know comfortable or do I actually go hey you know like let's let's cr crack open this space genuinely and kind of get to know each other new again yeah yeah it's interesting and then it is even a step further where you just detach yourself from those people and you, yeah. you evolve up and leave those people behind, mm. and I, you know, that's that's a huge problem for a lot of people. I, I just did a um, nine-month trip, um, sorry, ninety-day trip around Australia in a twelve and a half meter bus. Mm. The bus had five beds. That's a big. That's a lot of beds. Yeah, the bus had five beds, yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know, it was pretty decked out, um, and I offered a lot of people the chance to come with me. You know. I'm paying for fuel. There's no, you know, real costs. If you can chip in something, you can chip in something. But um, the main issue that everybody had was, uh, you know, like I'll, I'll be away from my friends and family. Mm. It's, it's three months. Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I, I can't understand that in the psyche to um, have an offer that's so adventurous, mm. so much mystery, intrigue, you know, wanderlust, that's a, a big thing for me. Mm. And um, some people are quite content with, you know, being inside that bubble. They yeah. Don't wanna, they don't want to break. Yeah, I, I, I had the same when I was first traveling, my first big trip, you know, I had two or three people that I thought, oh, they're going to come for sure, you know, yeah. and we'll do it together. And we talked about it. But then when it came to it, they were like, they kind of slinked back and said, no, no, I got to stick with this job or no, it feels like I got to stay here. And, and I remember being at the point of going, oh, well, geez, you know, am I missing something? Like, am I supposed to be it, worried about this? Worried about this <laughs> should I be staying home? And, and then I thought, no, no, this is a path for me to walk. And, and, and at this moment, I guess I'm walking it alone, you know? And, and, and in the end, it was way better because the purity of that experience kind of led me to where I went. Yeah, and probably so. wouldn't have yeah that's right. That's, that's exactly right. So I, I think it was the right. So now I'm grateful for those guys for bailing on me. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think just doing so much solo travel, um, you know, I've seen a lot of things, been a lot of places, mm. and not having the ability to, to sort of reflect with somebody on those things. So you sort of, it sort of does get lonely mm. so much in the moment because you enjoy it complicitly in the moment. It's the retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. That ability to go, man, remember when we were there? You yeah, know. yeah. And I think, too, there's, there's something I noticed uh, when I was, there was a big stretch where I was traveling solo. And when you're solo, you're, you're never really alone because you're always meeting people along the way. And you're only alone as much as, you, I guess, you want to be. But I can remember a few moments where, that were so special or, or like where I would arrive at a, at a beach, you know, or like or discover a hidden place that no one really knew about, and I would arrive there, and I'd be like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" And I would be so immersed in the moment, and then there was this little bit of hollowness, of like looking around and kind of going, "Man, I don't have anybody to share. You know, like, yeah. I, would, I need someone to share this with, so that I, so that later I, we yeah. can look at each other and go, "Oh man, how amazing was that?" But instead, you just kind of gotta go. Hey, right now it's me. You know? So I'll do a, <laughs> take a picture of myself or whatever. So um, the the wildlife, I suppose, um, uh, in, in the its most distinct form and the way that I, I've become accustomed to explaining it to people is I, I'm, I'm talking to people that uh, they're living their own version of the wildest life they can imagine. Mm. Now, in that you you and I have a lot of synergy. Um, with trying to help people uh, find that path and will be educated to the fact that that path exists. Mm. Um, do you see that because you're now that's that's part of what you do and, and the, mm. the, the calling that you've do, do you see that more and more so and are you sort of encouraged by what you're seeing or I go through certain periods when I'm in different places where I'm I'm actually um, sort of a little bit sad that, that, that like we were saying, you know, there's a lot of people that live inside that bub mm. bubble and don't want to push mm. out. Mm. Um, but you surely you'd, you'd have exposure to a, a lot more people that are pushing the boundaries, mm. and they're quite comfortable constantly pushing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, So, uh, so just so that I understand the question, you're asking, uh, you know, am I am I seeing more and more people kind of embracing the the, the wildest life, the the biggest life, yeah. the kind of being open to yeah. bigger possibilities in their world? Um, and I would say that um, it's a really good question. I would say because I. I I don't know if I've thought about if I'm... I, okay, no, yes. I, I would say that... Here's what I would say. I would say that people... What, what it feels like at a greater level, uh, really globally, mm. there is a, a restlessness and a realization that the way we've been doing things, and whether that's at a societal level or within business or, you know, others' education or that the way we've been doing things actually isn't working in, in a lot of ways. And there's so much you know, that's out of balance that's creating this kind of tension inside of people that, uh, that kind of seems to drive them one or two ways. One, they kind of get 
potential, like on the verge of overwhelm, looking at all the kind of imbalance in the world. And so they just kind of, they go back into their bubble and they go, I, I don't even know what to do about all that that's happening out there. So I just got to stick to my job and keep doing my thing. What made me ask that question is uh, at your seminar, you, um, you said that the more people that pick up their calling, mm. you truly believe that the better the world will become. Yeah. And I believe the, the, the same thing. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have that same philosophy. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, it, it may not be to travel or to have Wanderlust or, you know, your calling might be something simple, like to teach people. Yeah. Or, you know, to, to be involved with um, a, a charity or, you know, and it might not even be something that is... You know, doing something on a global scale, it might be a micro. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, great. So, so what I would say, I definitely see, which is, which is actually, I think, really exciting. There, there's certainly, you know, I think there is this general sense of restlessness that's happening in the world, where people are discontent with how things are, mm -hmm. and you know, another generation ago, people just kind of finished school, jumped into a job, and planned to be in that job for forty years, and there's a whole new generation that's way more discerning about where they put their time and energy yep. and um, and and because of the way things like YouTube and other you know kind of forms of communication are opening up people are are discovering that they can kind of make a living mm -hmm. or they can they can generate prosperity or build a sustainable life kind of doing whatever really calls them and I think more and more people are discovering that you know people that are you know spoken word poets or, or people that are artists or people that are you know just a girl playing the guitar in her bedroom or you know whatever uh, people are discovering wow actually if I just start with the thing that makes me come alive yep. and I just give energy to that and I and I and I give that oxygen and I stay as close as I can to that thing that that it actually grows and it grows faster and in a more sustainable way than if I put all of my time and energy into someone else's business doing something that I'm, that doesn't really make me come alive. And I, I think we're at a bit of a convergence because I think there's a, certainly a, um, you know, a, a strong and majority school of people that, uh, and, and, and society that is still kind of in that space of kind of feeding the machine. But there's this kind of rising... Um, you know, global fleet yeah. of people that are going, hang on, uh, I know that society and my upbringing and everything is telling me I'm supposed to go down that path, but huh, I'm actually feeling like doing this, and and that feels better, and you know what, wow, I just poured my energy into this for a year, and now, you know, I'm making five times as much money as I would have if I would have gone down that path and I'm kind of doing it on my own terms and yeah. and it feels good and I'm doing it, doing exactly the thing that I love or I'm not making the money but I'm but somehow my whole life is being paid for or whatever you yeah, know yeah, so people I, I think it is it's a super exciting time and and I and I as you kind of rearticulated from yesterday um, I really feel that it's 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 where one of the bigger answers to building balance back on the planet is is yeah. bringing people closer and closer to the to the peace that they really came to play here. Yeah, I I believe in a connected consciousness. I, I believe that um, you know being 
what we're all made up of is exactly the same mm. and that we're all essentially energy. Um, I, I believe if the if we can tilt the balance into the sort of vibrations and this is going to sound woo-woo you know but at the, at the same time I believe that you know like if we can all generate sort of like a positive vibration mm. we can sort of put everything back on track mm. I mean you just look at the damage that we're doing the, the interview that we did with the sea shepherd you know the, the stuff that they talk about what we're doing to the oceans you know like 25 tons in one load mm. you know the deforestation the the fracking all these different things and people sort of deny that we're sort of hurting the earth yeah you know? yeah totally and i don't think it's woo-woo I, I think it's actually um you know it's interesting i i work with a, i work with a lot of business leaders and um the business leaders that I've, you know, a shift that's happening there, which is really interesting, is, you know, there's a there's a movement from a very traditionally very hierarchical, very command and control style of leadership, yeah. and um, and where the leader has all the answers, dictates the directions to the team and the workers, and they do it out of fear, yeah. and um, and and and. Over the last, I don't know how much time, there's this sort of a shift happening where, you know, tr true and powerful leaders and leaders that are leading extraordinary new enterprises are, um, are realizing that actually, if I um, am in my highest integrity and I, and I serve from, from the back, mm -hmm. and, and I'm a, as a leader, I'm, I'm serving my team, and my role is to empower their greatness and not to tell them what to do, but to ask them what they feel, and to have a clear view of where we're going, but, but to be open to how we get there. That, you know, if, 10 years ago, a lot of leaders might have said, oh, that's soft, that's woo-woo, you know, you know, I don't got time to uh, treat my team as equals, they need direction, yeah. and, uh, but what we're finding is a lot of leaders are now realizing that's actually the most pragmatic it's actually the most practical. It's actually the biggest bottom line. Yeah. It's the most profitable. It's all these things, and and yet, uh, you know, ten years ago that would have been the soft skill stuff. And I think the same thing is with energy. Well, you know, I think. Well, that particular style of leadership that's uh, some people call it wolf pack leadership. Hmm. That's actually how the wolf packs operate. But um, I, I I operate in a similar fashion when I'm running teams, and I. I probably don't know a lot about me, but I, uh, from a very early age, I was running events um, as a roadie, but also in the capacity of a roadie, I was a crew chief. So um, on large scale events, including um, the Sydney Olympic Games Committee, I had, I had um, did some work with, with the Rugby World, um, Rugby League World Cup. Awesome. Um, FIFA Congress, uh, World Youth Day when the Pope came to Randwick Racecourse in Sydney. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, we'd run teams of up to 120, 150 people, so quite massive teams. Mm. Um, and the the easiest way to run those teams is from the back, so that you can see everything. If you're at the front, 
and you're leading the charge, you can't see what your team mm. needs. Mm. You, you just you, mm. you can't. You're missing. You're going yeah. to miss things. Yeah. And if you empower them to lead the charge yourself, you can see behind them and see what the, what they need. Mm. And obviously, you know, they're going to come to you when they need things specifically as well. Yeah. Whereas if you're leading the charge and it's by fear, those people aren't going to come to you. No, that's right. So that's you, right. You're, you're you're going to you're going to create a communication vacuum mm. that is going to cost the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you might get. A predictable outcome based on what you're capable of, uh, but you sacrifice the outcome that could come if you had those 150 people's capabilities with you. You know, so it's it's like an exponential difference of what could come if all of these people were tuned in and turned on and and feeling empowered. Yeah, as a leader, you've got one. You're you're one person. You've got your one experience, but these people. You know, um, and especially in a corporate environment where you've got people that have been doing what they're doing for 20, 25 years, mm. sometimes more, these guys have uh, associated experiences that have probably circumnavigated the world. Mm. You know, the, the, not to mention all, all the the personal achievements and personal experiences they've had that mm. that could well serve you in benefit, mm. Mm. but you'd be just neglecting. Yeah. That's right. Just turn it. No, we don't need any of that. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I got this handled. <laughs> but, and the weird thing is, is that I think a lot of leaders traditionally were kind of trained to believe that you know when you get that, when you get boosted to that spot or that role or that you know place in the org chart, then your job is to have all the answers. You know, your job is to then be the boss. And so, with that step, they just kind of assumed, oh. Now's the point. I got to. I got to cut off. I got to cut the cord to all my buddies that I used to be with, and 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 I got to be something different. Yeah. And uh, and then in cutting that cord, they yeah they lose connection to the you know the the, the unified potential of the group. That's right. Yeah. In certain environments, you know that may be something that's completely necessary, but it's it's not a it's it's not a one shoe fits all rule. Yeah, no, that's right. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. It's not a kind of a black and white. There's never a need for very clear, strong leadership. Of course, yeah. there's a need for, you know, we were speaking about um, earlier today, uh, you were sharing about when your father passed away, and I was sharing about when my father-in-law passed away, and yeah. the type of leadership, you know, I remember that my wife demonstrated with her family and with the community when her dad passed away suddenly, you know, there was a need in that moment for her to, step in and just be super clear yeah. and to bring bring clarity and direction and so because you know, people didn't ha- in that moment couldn't couldn't sort of think for for the collective they were so kind of lost in their grieving or upset or surprise and so sometimes to bring a sense of clear understanding of what's needed next is, is a huge gift to the yeah. situation and I just want to sort of share for a minute um, when that moment happened we were in the hospital it's in the emergency room at Fremantle Hospital um, and you know although I was scared and I had to find some strength when I did something really absurd happened that was very sort of spooky ethereal um, we were playing some music as we were all saying goodbye the whole family mm. And um, just as we pulled the plug, was just when the Beatles' "Come Together" came on. Hmm. 
Mm. So, you know, and, you know, woo woo again. Every bit, you know, <laughs> but sometimes things happen. Things happen in this universe, you know, and, you know, you could say it's coincidence, but, you know, there's over 2,000 songs on that playlist. Yeah. You know, and for that song to come on just when we needed that message, mm. well, you know, and that well, shifted everybody as well. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think one of the great um, opportunities that we have right now, it's a great example of, I think, a level of woo-woo, a, a level of synchronicity uh, that's actually, it's actually, I think life, life's default way and rhythm is, is in that flow. And, and we all have times in our life when we're kind of in a sense of deep connection with what we're doing and the people and we're so immersed in what we're doing that, that those kind of woo-woo moments or those moments when it just feels like, wow, wow a, an undescribable uh, kind of coming together of elements just happened. Um, you know, my sense is that that, that kind of rhythm and, and, and flow is, is actually available to us most of the time, but it's, it's it, you know, and, and probably there was times in our ancestral life yeah. When we just moved at a slightly different pace, and we listened to the the song of the birds and the direction of the wind, and we watched the the way the shift in the clouds lined up with our conversation and and a decision to go south or to go north, and and we kind of were so tuned into those little directions that that was actually again like the most practical way of of finding water or moving to this land or knowing when was the moment to to leave this valley and go to the hilltop and. But we've, over time, lost that connection to that sort of wild, but very, you know, can be subtle source, communication yeah. source. And so it's beautiful in moments that are quite intense or quite um, cataclysmic yeah. that and it's no surprise, I guess, that in those moments when we're all in, that, that those moments, that those sparks of yeah. interconnectivity reveal themselves so clearly. Yeah, and they, they must be like... You know, on a multiplier effect, when you're sort of shell shocked, yeah, you know, just yeah, <laughs> sitting there rocking, you know, like mm. what's going on, and then you know, like you notice something, yeah, but um, yeah, really beautiful. Do you uh, meditate? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I don't. Um, I've kind of explored many different uh, approaches to meditation, kind of from very traditional to non-traditional uh my i find for me um and it changes but um there's huge benefit in finding that space in one way or another every day and sometimes sometimes it is with simply sitting and breathing and you know kind of in a very simple sense uh sometimes it's 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 in the walk down the path mm. to the surf mm. and it's in the sitting and stretching and looking at the ocean and then it's it's actually being out in the water yep. um, you know all of these things can be hugely meditative to me and um, uh, and, and, and then sometimes it might be through movement and I, I, I studied uh, Qigong for years and when I my very first Qigong uh, lesson with a master um, he was asking me if I'd ever done it before, and I said no. And I, he said, "What do you do?" And I said, "Oh, I, you know, most mornings I surf." And he goes, "Oh, well, 
that's the most natural form of qigong you could do. You're yeah. surrounded by the ocean, yeah. you're moving with nature. Yeah. Because I'll teach you anyway, but that's you know, you're already doing it. So <laughs> I think I think it's I think there's you know I I love the uh, way that meditation and mindfulness has come so strong into our culture and um, I also feel it's exciting for people to find their way you know whether it's writing in a journal or whether it's chanting a mantra or what what, you know that there's many doorways to that that aspect of ourselves quite recently um, I started doing a a new form of of yoga um, and I've found nine out of ten sessions I will actually have like a a mild sort of uh, not hallucination Mm. but but I will get very light headed Mm. and uh, I will almost have a very light body experience as Mm. well at the end of a 45 minute session what kind of yoga is Um, I I did vinyasa before and I've recently changed studios to go with a friend I'm not quite sure, on yeah. it, but um, it's a it's a lovely place in Coconut Grove. Cool, uh, Darwin Yoga Studio. If any Darwinites are listening, yeah. Um, but and they've got some lovely pictures of yogis, yeah. traditional yogis, Indian, um, doing some incredible things yeah. with their bodies. You know, um, it, it's bamboo slats on the roof. You know, it's just a, a the whole environment is just and I think that's what happened yesterday as well you know like mm. the, the, it, I when I try and create experiences for people I try and cater to all the senses mm. so you know the, the touch the sight the sound the smell mm. you know all, all these sort of things I look at mm. and it's it's, it's a, a palette that mm. we can work with to sort of guide people through things Whereas, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do music shows and festivals and stuff like that. Yeah. And they just bang on the same things yeah. over, and over and over again. Yeah, the same and medium. And they don't realize that these senses have been thrashed. Yeah, <laughs> totally. They've absolutely been thrashed. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think, you know, when, um, uh, you know, Billy um, Joe Armstrong from Green Day, you know, does a, a, a theater show, huh. you know, where the whole uh, album is set to a, a play and a story and crafted yeah. and, and walks people through some. But the, the emotional sense mm. is taken through the hero's journey mm. like we were, we were talking before. Yeah. You know, and then it's over and over again as well. Mm. So, you know, um, you, you're walking th- people through an experience that they, that they don't get the opportunity to have very often. Yeah. And it's more intimate and personal. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool, and I think um, creating the the a rhythm that that is got space and that and that allows people exactly to connect with one sense or some one medium and kind of get their cup full or opened, and then and then and then move into another medium so that 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 can integrate while you know while something else is coming in. I, there was a there's a sculptor down in Melbourne um, or in the outskirts of Melbourne uh, named Bruno. I don't even remember his last name, but he's got this amazing he, he's an amazing sculptor and uh, didn't really like selling his sculpture though. And yep. so what he did was he created this amazing sculpture garden through in his land. And, yep. and there's a big forest, and you just walk. You pay like five dollars to go in, and you and you walk through and you experience all these sculptures that are just set in situ. And and he's got a great um, sense of humor. 
and and he I had a great conversation with him where he told me how he actually places the sculpture is you'll you'll come across one scene and it'll be like a whole bunch of you know tiny little elves you know that are like you know that he uses pieces of junk and stuff to contract hang gliders and planes and th- you know it'll be like a little pond and there'll be like a hundred little elves just being naughty and you'll be like oh my god that's so funny and then you walk around the corner and there'll be this like slightly bigger than life and just totally realistic Native American chief just like staring at you yeah, from yeah. the back of a tree and and that kind of alternation between yeah. humor that opens me up and then he said it, you know then it just opens people up then to receive something that's deeper and and you know and then he'll really give them a relief with something that's light and beautiful yeah. and then he'll circle back so, so. He's, he's playing the role of like a museum curator yeah you know yeah. And, and that's that's a perfect example a museum is from my experience you know there are some uh, very bland museums that just put objects in there at random places but the really good museum curators, they craft the experience mm. and the direction that you walk in. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and and you, you're actually, you, you've got to, they, they sort of force you, your entry points here, exit points here, because then they know, mm. you know, what you're going to experience this and how you're going the to journey experience. If you go backwards, it's not going to make any sense. Yeah, 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 interesting. Yeah, of course. I mean, then I suppose you'd find that in other arenas, in, you know, the, the orchestra conductor and the, you know anyone that's that's taken an art form uh, to a level of um, a level of uh, conscious awareness of how it might impact the emotions of the viewer or the listener, yeah. and taken an interest in well, how can we craft a journey? Was, uh, it, was it Beethoven that that was deaf? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that would have to be like a sympathetic sort of nervous system yeah, to- writing the music totally yeah yeah it must have been very energetic very vibrational yeah yeah interesting I have got um, uh, I have a, a couple of beehives at home and uh, recently one of the hives swarmed and we had this big swarm of bees and I had to move them from the tree that they'd kind of moved that they'd uh, kind of swarmed to to a new hive and and when they're swarming, they're quite docile, and they they all just holding on. They're just holding hands. They you know they just basically like like a giant. It was like the size of my torso, just a, a big column of bees. And you you just kind of grab you know like I was sort of carrying like football size <laughs> balls of bees and putting them in these boxes, and just the the process of holding them, and they're just sitting there buzzing. Yeah. The the. The vibrations going through like my entire body, just yeah. holding this ball of bees, was like I, I felt like I could feel it, like for about 24 hours afterwards. It was like they just, you know, that it's amazing the way just those little sounds just vibrate. So I would imagine, yeah, Beethoven. Well, I can't, I can't play piano, um, but I, I can play by feel, mm. which is is really weird, and you know, like. Um, Actually, I had a really unique experience uh, at, at a party or a restaurant that I was managing in Fremantle for a little while. Um, the, the guy that wrote the music to Arachnophobia was there. Oh, yeah. London Hutchins. Um, and there happened to be a piano out the back. And he just started playing. And uh, me and him 
had an episode of synchronicity hmm. and it, we, we both disappeared to another place and played a few songs and uh, a lot of people sort of looked on like they were watching something unfold that wasn't uh, supposed to happen or wasn't, yeah, you know, wasn't normal yeah it wasn't, yeah. wasn't normal you know yeah. like, and, and, and it sort of touched them as well and it, I, I, I wish that people could experience that more, more often mm. you know um, a lot of people say oh you know I wish I could sing or I wish I could play an instrument and they think a lot about the technical aspect of singing or playing the instrument when in fact you know there's a lot of famous singers that you know you would say technically mm. can't sing yeah you know and a lot of a lot of famous uh, examples, Bob Dylan, a lot of people say Bob Dylan can't sing. Mm, mm. Well, he's one of the most famous poets in history. Yeah. You know, um, probably one of the most famous. Um, Jimmy Barnes, mm. was, I was having a conversation at work and a lot of people say just screams. Yeah. You know, but that's, you know, his rendition and, and his uh, method of, of voicing and I think that everybody's got a voice hmm. and I think that finding that voice is just as important as the message that, that that we're sort of spreading and I think it's part of that as well well I think it is because uh, yeah that's right because that voice shows up in in every different form you know that it's it might be a voice in singing or it might be um, you know a, 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 a way a, an approach to writing or it might be um, a, an approach to you know, designing a box that's needed for something. You know, like it yeah. could be anything. But uh, I think that's probably the thing that one of the things that makes me come alive the most in the work that I do is 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 a deep, deep knowing that each of us has something, mm. and it might it not be a something. It might just be an essence. In most cases, it's an essence that can express itself in many ways. But each of us has that core essence, and when that is in full expression, whether it's in the form of a song or whether it's in the form of a soccer game or whatever, um, not only does it feel good, like like it really feels good, and there's nothing more to prove. And there's I don't care what people think because I'm I'm actually right in my center expressing myself in in my experience that's where people discover the most kind of you know kind of worldly leaps forward in what they're doing as well yeah so you know I think more so or just as importantly as people needing to find their calling people need to also understand that people are on their journey to find their calling mm. as well and that um, it's like a symbiosis of where we need to go mm. because without the people's nurturing the encouragement or not even encouragement but that, that space we call it tall poppy syndrome in mm. Australia you know where, where you know our friends look like they're doing really well and we're like ah oh, come on mate better you know? cut them down yeah remember where you come from yeah you know? yeah that's right but in the context of so, so I, I think 
two things. One is, um, I totally agree that you know, equally important to people, kind of being open to hearing and then willing to follow their calling. We need to start to have a more generous listening and perspective for those people in our world that are answering their calling that might might be different than what we expected of them. You know, yeah. but but on the other hand, I think the other thing to realize is that anytime we make a move towards something that's calling us that's different than how we have been, in most cases and in most countries, it often triggers discomfort in other people that are used to seeing us a certain way. And so there might be a layer or a phase of time where there's an element of resistance around or questioning or yeah. how dare you or oh that's not possible or good luck with that mate or whatever. Yeah. And on one hand, we could go to work on that dynamic, but I think um, if we look at the if we look at the archetypal form of the hero's path, there's this moment when the hero has felt a call and is a, and is about to kind of step out and make that first step towards their calling. And there's oftentimes what we call a threshold guardian, yep. and maybe there's a few of them, and they're and they're people that sort of stand at the threshold, and in films and in stories they kind of push and they kind of poo-poo or you know cut away the possibility for the hero to, to make that step, and and they seem like annoying, they seem like assholes and haters and yep. stuff, but actually they're a gift to the hero because that little bit of push. That little bit of a, I don't think you can do this, or that little bit of um, not possible, you know, it, it actually forces the hero in that moment to kind of go, yes, I do. Yeah. It, it forces a, a, a heightened level of commitment that, that actually, you know, is needed to kind of cross that threshold into the path. And so even though they seem like they're... Um, you know, in the surface level, they're they're suppressing or pushing down the dream. When we kind of push through it, it's actually like flypaper, and 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 on the other side, we have more resilience yep. from it. So, awesome. yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we've been here for about an hour now, so I think we should wrap up. If you just want to take this opportunity, tell people where they can reach out to you if they, if, if they feel that, that there's a connection and yeah, you know. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I run a business which is um, multifaceted. Um, it sort of ranges from, uh, you know, big group work um, with anybody who's kind of feeling ready to answer the call of their purpose or their vision or, or exploring that, uh, right through to quite deep work with leaders and entrepreneurs and, and organizations that are kind of committed to going beyond what they thought was possible. Um, and uh, and everything in between, and um, super dynamic work, and very very bespoke. It's always different depending on who I'm working with, and um, and uh, you know I have access to some pretty special people to bring in and be part of that experience too. So I feel very humbled and very you know very grateful to be on that path. If people are interested in in exploring more of my work, they could just go to uh, one of two places. Um, uh, chiprichards.life is kind of like the entry place yep. to, to, to me online um, and you can reach out to me there and you get a little bit of a glimpse into, into, into me as a person and, and, and my work overall okay. and then 
really on that website, there's a doorway into my uh, more business and leadership offering, which is the Magi Consulting Group. So, okay. yeah. Well, yeah. I've enjoyed it. Me too, David. Really great to be with you, man. Thanks for being there with us yesterday at the workshop and uh, showing up so fully. Wouldn't have missed it for the world. And for calling this uh, great spontaneous gathering today. Excellent. All right, mate. We'll talk next time. Look forward to it.